Good afternoon. Welcome to North Point of View. Dr. Walter Kimsey. Walter? Mark, how are you? I'm good, man. Hey, um, I, I, I feel like I almost need to put a disclaimer out, out front of this one. Uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're going to sort of get out there a little bit. Um, you, you know, obviously, we, we have a lot of folks that we're dealing with. We have some great uh partnerships, government partnerships, uh, you know, public-private, uh, when done correctly is, you know, is great. You know, that's, that's mm -hmm. that, you know, leveraging. Um, but um, when we talk about federal government intervention into the markets, it's, it's a whole different issue, right? It's a whole different uh, can of worms. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I know that um, as, as we get into this, we're going to be, I, I, I'm not saying thin ice, but, you know, we're trying to be careful. But also you, what you said to me earlier in the break was that we've got an obligation to talk about this, right? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. this, is, this is important stuff. Um, uh, your tagline for this talk was uh, security versus prosperity yep and uh i guess with that i sorry for being the debbie downer on this one but i just mm -hmm. wanted to sort of give a little uh set of parameter and some perspective on this before we jump in but this is this conversation has a little bit of weight to it right it does yeah um seeing some interesting things right now and it's happening all over the all over the globe right all mm -hmm. over the planet, um, you know, nationalism, protectionism, um, and then then how that reverberates, you know, around the planet and mm -hmm. has effects, um, sometimes unintended consequences, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Walter, get us started. Well, you know, we haven't had a world war now in quite some time. This is the most fundamental question about the whole nature of how we've existed, survived, prospered as a, as a human race. I mean, the decision about how to take stuff out of the ground, convert it into consumable things, get it to consumers and allocate it in a fair way amongst the consumers, before we dispose of the stuff in the, in the ground, that whole cycle, there's basically only two ways to do it. One is to have a market-based system, and the other is to have a command system, right? Whether it's the feudal lord or the president of the Communist Party, you know, or the El Dictador, it doesn't matter. It's just a small group of people making decisions. Right. And, uh, I'm gonna surprise you with what I'm gonna say right now, but there is a lot of economic literature out there claiming that US industries are very oligopolized or monopolized, where most of the industries have two to four companies with an over 90% market share. So that's three. The average, the number of industries we track in the economy is 70, three times 70, 210. So you have roughly 210 CEOs like the Politburo in Communist Russia, deciding what you watch, what you wear, where you can live, etc. So in many ways, you know, one of the issues here with the 
the state and the companies kind of blending together is also the fact that there's been a lot of concentration at the corporate level. It's a natural thing. It's something that just, it's one way to get out of being commoditized. And so how you handle that is a different question. But nonetheless, um, that so far has been market-based outcome. And we have done our best to keep the government away from interfering in the market. Um, it, it's always going to be the tendency to do that. You look at a Department of Transportation and their planners. And the planners are kind of deciding where things are going to, what infrastructure is going to get built. And every proposal that I have ever submitted to work on an infrastructure plan, I've always started with, my team proposes to help develop a market-based infrastructure investment plan. Market-based. Because that's what's dynamic. That's what makes the economy grow. And oh, I've never really lost a, uh, a, an RFP response uh, when I've proposed that kind of a solution. But it's interesting, you know, Walter, I mean, this is one of those moments where, you know, I just really appreciate how you look at things in the macro. But, but what I think what you're describing, in essence, is that tension, you know, between like wide open free market and, you know, monopolization. Yes. Of goods and resources and flow. Right. And there's a, a constant sort of tension that mm -hmm. always exists there, right? Exactly. Yeah. See, market-based solutions in the long run are always better. Capitalism has a much higher growth rate than socialism. Right. But capitalism's higher growth rate comes at a cost. It's more volatile. Every so often, you get a pretty nasty recession. Uh, and then we try to come up with solutions that aren't too market interventionist. For example, uh, the Federal Reserve was established in 1917. But what happened is between the end of the Civil War and 1910, there were six or seven mini depressions. Because what was happening is as the government was paying off its debt, uh, the war debt, there's, there was less debt out there for the banks to hold as a, a reserve or a backing against the currency and loans that they issued. And so the more that debt got taken away, the less money, the less loans and money that the banks could print. And so over 30, 40 years, every so often we would hit these tipping points and everything would collapse. We'd go into a, a depression is really characterized by deflation, prices falling. And so finally we'd had enough of it, you know, you couldn't use gold as a solution for money either because you know, the supply of gold is unpredictable. The demand for gold is a little more predictable, but that supply unpredictability didn't make it work either. So we thought we could create a Federal Reserve. And for the longest time, Federal Reserve tried to be a very market-based solution. Not always, but um, it, it, is, it has tried to do that for most of its history. So there are many ways that we see this trade-off between let the markets work and intervene. And I, I think there's only really two sets of circumstances where you really need to have where the market solution isn't going to work. One of them is like right after a catastrophe where the instinct is to sit there and price gouge everybody so that redevelopment of that area doesn't occur for 50 years. Yeah. And so you have to forbid price gouging during emergencies. Um, it helps everybody get back on their feet quicker. The other circumstances during war, 
I mean, war is, I mean, national defense is a public good. If you provide it to one person in the economy, you provide it to everybody in the economy. There's no other way to do it. Right. And so there you really have a very good excuse. There is no market-based solution to a national defense problem. Not that I can think of. I've heard some people say stuff, but quite frankly, I think they need to go take some medications. Uh, you know, the reasoning was not exactly right. So we're in a problem right now in which we have very bad actors. We've got countries that are hell-bent on global domination. And it's uh, more than just two. You've got even yeah. small countries that think that they're going to sit there and, and uh, uh, single-handedly threaten a country like the United States. And uh, all of that is, is really scary. Um, and then everybody now has learned to do what's called digital twins. So I put uh, little tracking things in your, uh, in, in your electric vehicles, in your batteries, in your cranes, and in your airplanes, and everything else. And what happens is uh, these, the electronic devices that these are connected to, that data is not human-created. It's, it's, it's censored. It's monitored by, uh, by machinery. And that gets sent to some place, and then you can create a, uh, a, a database that is the virtual representation of what's happening physically. Now, we're using this right now to improve traffic flow in places like Los Angeles, uh, to monitor your supply chain, but it can also be used to really uh, model some other country's structure and then figure out its vulnerabilities. Yeah. You know, you know what we learned during COVID is that you are your supply chain nationally. And if somebody can cut across at least half of your supply chains, your country falls to its knees immediately. Yeah. And that's what happened during COVID. Right. And so now we have this very difficult decision. You know, how much of our economy do we have to hand over to national defense? And to me, that's really what this trade-off is all about. Why have the chips made here? Well, because we know that the guys who make the chips in China are going to put listening devices in there. Where did they get that idea from? Hmm, ever heard of International Telephone and Telegram, AT&T? We built phone systems in a lot of countries for free. Yeah, free. Yeah, it was free, but we got the information. And so, uh, you know, nobody's new at this trick. But anyways, as, as this information base and technology continues to expand, it does good things for us, but never has humanity invented a good thing that didn't eventually get put to a bad use. The, the, the cavemen learned how to draw paintings so they could track the seasons. Good thing. What was the next thing they did? They drew paintings of people copulating, pornography. It's like, wow, we learned how to take pictures. What do you find next? Pictures of naked people. Uh, every, you know, then we invent nuclear power and we should put to use for. The next move is nuclear bombs. And that's the sad thing about the evolution of technology with human beings. I, I can't think of a single technology that we've come up with that made things better without somebody finding a way to make it a bad thing or use it for a bad purpose. And so the more and more the world becomes technologically oriented with all of these listening devices and tracking devices and digital twins and all of that, uh, I think it actually destabilizes the world and it forces us to hand more and more of the economy over to a, a, some kind of a national defense decision matrix as opposed to a, a market-based system. Yeah, and then just the whole issue of AI right now is just 
It's, I mean, it just seems incredible how quickly it's become a, a major issue. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't even tracking it until, you know, several months ago. And now, I mean, you can't get through the Wall Street Journal without there being a major piece uh, or article on some kind of impact to an industry or a major uh, corporation. And, um, and it's technology on the run. And so that whole issue between the free market and the governmental intervention to control becomes a real question, right? right. Safety versus prosperity, which is the title of this talk. Right? Yeah. Well, and that AI can, is, is already being used for horribly negative things. It can generate not just text and images, it can also generate movie. Yeah. And they can, with AI, you can create movies that, of people who look like you and me. Yeah. These would be news movies. We get on TV, we tell the news, and I don't need human beings anymore. Uh, so then you think, well, the evil government could then use this to brainwash everybody. Uh, I, got, I got news for you. The technology itself can use itself to brainwash the evil leaders of the country who are trying to do something. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting where this could end up. I'm, I'm going back to, my, to the books I've read from Kurtz, uh, Kurt, um, Kurtzweiler. Uh, he, uh, he is, in my mind, the most, the, Ray Kurzweil, sorry, that's the name. Uh, Kurzweil, to me, is the foremost expert on the impacts of technology on our society and its likely evolution. And his books do not have a really positive ending to it. This is, uh, he thinks that by 2040, the machines will be inventing and designing themselves. And so I, I view some of what's going on between markets and governments within that lens of how the technology is shaping all of these trade-offs. Could we get to a point where we don't have to do anything anymore? The machines do the farming, the food making, and everything, and we just get to play all day? What would happen to us? Uh, you know, we would lose our self-identity. And I don't want to play golf every day. I learned that last week. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. Three days back to back, but Max. We've, but we've gone a little far in this, but I've read comments from a lot of people about these things. And, um, you know, it's, there are many good ways this could end up. And, and well, I, let's take let's take those for a second and, and end this on a positive because this is a serious conversation. Obviously, it's going to be something that we come back to over and over again. Mm -hmm. But what's what's the sort of the silver lining in, in all this in your mind right now? You know, ever since the Luddites back in the 19th century in the UK got upset over machinery that was invented to make the production of cloth. Uh, more automated, or what the correct word is um, uh, mechanized. Mm -hmm. right? Automated means this stuff, there's more than just mechanization. And so they fought it and they smashed looms and things like that. Um, but as we've mechanized and then automated, GDP has gone way up, not way down. Um, GDP per capita has gone way up. Yeah. Maybe it has uh, distorted the distribution of income a bit. But so far, the more technology we use, uh, the better it, will, it, it should be. The problem is to recognize that we need to change, improve our lifestyles as opposed to not. 
And this week it was announced that in the UK, they are beginning now an experiment with the four day work week, because that's where this could go. Right. So I think in the end, there are going to be very few real jobs left. One will be entertainers, <laughs> and the other will be monitors, people who keep their eye on the technology, make sure it's doing what it's supposed to. Right. But nonetheless, the whole trade-off that we're seeing now, I think it's a long path that we should talk about. You know, Remember, we discussed the lousy demographic outlook for the U.S. and many, many countries as we've urbanized the, the planet. Um, there's a lot to, lot to unpack here. Yeah, and then there's... there's you know, uh, a rhythm or a cadence. Uh, we were in Italy a couple weeks ago, and uh, and I can tell you, um, the cadence, uh, you know, the late lunch, siesta, late dinner, uh, mm -hmm. sleep late, get up, work a few hours, big lunch again, siesta. I find myself... Um, uh, with a really appreciation for mm -hmm. sort of that old school cadence. Oh, absolutely. So, well, I grew up with that in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. We had that. And it was like if it was during the winter, which is, you know, June, July, it doesn't go really much below 70. But if it turns out to be an 80 degree day and it's a Wednesday and it's beautiful weather, not showing up for work was not frowned upon too much. You, right. You didn't do it too often, but... It's Wednesday, the weather is gorgeous. You don't have much going on at work. Uh, oh, 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 I'm sick, <laughs> boss, I'll come in tomorrow if I feel better. <laughs> and he knows damn well you're lying, okay? He <laughs> you might. wish he could have done the same. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you did that and, and it was okay. Stuff still got done. Okay, maybe you got a little impatient, was a little too slow, but it, it was a better pace of life. It's the reason I moved to Savannah. It's much better pace of life in Savannah than than it was in New Jersey. And I think for what you and I talked about earlier, there's a there's a piece of that, you know, self monitoring with the the uh, technological advances to to use that for our benefit, not more work, right? Exactly. <laughs> so you got it, man. Walter, great being with you, man. Same here. All Take right. care. Thanks, guys. Thanks.